If I can invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove, and there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be with you all this morning. Before I begin, I just want to take a moment and thank those who brought uh, mittens and hats and socks for our tree to be delivered to Parkview. Those items will be taken to Parkview this week. For those of you that, that donated those items, thank you for doing so. And also, um, if you see them on clearance, I mean, we can certainly take them. Or if you're like our family, we stick them in the attic and forget about them until two years later, and then we bring them, but, uh, but it's worked. So I um, also want to thank those who helped de-decorate the sanctuary last Sunday. The more hands, the merrier. It got done quick. Um, thank you for all of you who, who offered your time last Sunday afternoon. It's good to be here with you all this morning, and today we're going to be starting just a short four-week sermon series called Reset, where we're going to be just taking some time to looking and considering the ways that, that through Jesus we can reset our minds, we can reset ourselves, and we can reset our souls. Because in Jesus we are able to see our purpose, reset our values, we're able to, to reset our direction, we're able to see where God wants us to go and where we believe God is calling us to go as individual Christians and then also as our participating in the ways that, that we participate in the life of the church and in the community of faith with each other. And we do all of this so that we can claim in an even greater way who we belong to, don't we? I align my soul with who Jesus, or who I believe Jesus wants me to be, so that I can belong in an even greater way to God, don't I? I align my vision, my purpose, my direction, all of the things that I might do with what I believe God's call is on my life, so that I can become a greater follower of Him. Not greater in the sense of someone that's, that's lifted up, right? But we can say greater in the sense that, that we believe that, that we are doing things in a more intentional and a more thorough and in a better way. And so this morning we're going to begin by thinking a little bit on what it means for us to reset our souls. When it comes to be following, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, and in a lot of ways I think the calendar year as well as the church calendar year helps us to pause each year and to think about where we are at and to think about what we are doing, and to think about the ways that you and I are able to reset our souls. So like the church calendar, you know, it, it begins, so the church calendar's weird. If anyone knows, Advent is when the church calendar year starts, which doesn't make any bit of sense compared to our calendar, right? Because our calendar starts on January 1, but the church calendar starts on Advent, which is either usually the last Sunday of November or the first Sunday of December, depending on how everything falls. But the calendars, in either form, help us to pause and to think about the different ways that you and I are able to reset our souls. And so are there natural things in the culture that we do to, to reset our soul or to reorient ourselves as we enter a new year together. We purchase a new calendar. We might open a new file or create a new file on our computer that has another year on it. 
We do other things. We might try and engage in new practices or at least look and think about the things that we have been doing so that we can identify how, may, how we might do things differently in the coming year. And spiritually, it's no different, isn't it? I mean, there's a great um, niche in, in the Christian book market for beginning of the year, de- year devotionals. And I know, I mean, I've purchased them. I certainly have used them. I, I didn't buy one for this year. I've been doing some other devotionals on, my, um, on version. you know, the, the Bible app on the computer and on your, your iPhone or Android device. But there are a number of things that we can do. And so one of the ways in our church calendar year as United Methodists that we might um, uh, reset and, and reorient our souls is the prayer and practice that we engaged in last Sunday as part of the worship service. So last Sunday we, we did part of the Wesleyan Covenant prayer service. It was much longer for those of you that were here and thought there was an awful lot of back and forth between you and me. Uh, that was about half of what the real Wesleyan Covenant prayer is service and uh, this prayer is by used by Methodists since the 1770s and so when John Wesley was living they wrote this prayer and they wrote this service around this prayer to reorient the souls of those Christians um, at the beginning of each year for them to pause and to reorient themselves and for them to determine where God was leading them and where they needed to be and so they examined themselves they prepared themselves it's like you and I did we confess our sins We confess our shortcomings, we ask God for guidance in the coming year, and then we pray the prayer together that's on the screen, where these are words that we offer to God our very selves, we offer to God what we're doing, we offer our lives, and the prayer goes even as far for us to say that we see ourselves in God's service no matter what happens to us. Whether that means God using us in the fullest sense of what you and I might imagine. But then also there's the opposite of that, is there not? Where in the prayer it says, set me aside if you see it necessary. Boy, that's a hard one. Because what we're saying is that no matter what we see happening, we see ourselves in God's service, isn't it? Whether we're being used, whether we're being set aside, we're being used by God. We also celebrated Holy Communion. And I'm reminded each time, and we also in in the Methodist Church at least have the opportunity because we practice monthly communion in this church, that each month we're given the opportunity to reset our souls. As we receive the bread and as we receive the juice and as we confess our sins and as we examine ourselves and prepare ourselves to come to the table that God has opened to us, you and I are given opportunities to reorient ourselves. And it's not an annual thing, but it's, you know, it's once every four weeks, isn't it? Where we are reminded of the grace of God and of the forgiveness of God that's offered to us through His Son, Jesus. We have the opportunity to reset our souls each and every month. And so this morning, we're also going to be looking at at a passage from Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, we see how Jesus reset his own soul and was claimed by God through his baptism by John the Baptist. And we can reset our own souls by remembering our own baptism, or if you have never been baptized, being baptized. And so I want to set the stage this morning, because in Luke's gospel, it's kind of interesting. He devotes a whole chapter to, to to Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
and the pregnancy of John the Baptist and then his birth. Luke tells us later in in chapter 1 of the miraculous um, appearance by Gabriel the angel to Mary, telling her that she would be with child and that the child that she was going to bear would be the Son of God. Then Luke 2, Luke writes about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. He writes about the birth of Jesus. He ends with Simeon and Anna seeing Jesus in the temple. And then our scripture in Luke 3 begins with uh, John the Baptist. And the beginning of his ministry and his ministry being engaged in. Now John stays mainly in the northern portion of Israel. John doesn't travel down to Jerusalem in his ministry. But John travels up and down the corridor along the Jordan River. Preaching, teaching, and then when people want to be baptized, he's baptizing them in the River Jordan. In fact, the scripture tells us the re- John travels through the region of the Jordan River calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and that they were wanting God to forgive their sins. Right, so John's challenging the people to do what? He's challenging them to change their lives and to live their lives in relationship with God and to others. John isn't offering them internal life. John's not offering them any different than you and I, than, than, or he's not offering them anything that you and I attribute to being offered to us by Jesus, is he? So what John's plan is, is for the people to operate within the Jewish faith and for them to be baptized, for them to, be, to seek forgiveness for their sins and for them to live a, deep, a deeper walk in a, in a more intentional relationship with God. That's what John's um, goal is, isn't it? And so people are looking at him and they're saying, you must be the Messiah. You're the one that's coming. You're the one that we have anticipated. And John corrects them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so Luke tells us in Luke 3 that Jesus came to John there at the River Jordan. And unlike Matthew's gospel, Luke doesn't include any additional conversation between John and Jesus. You'll remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes and John says, I'm not even worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, you must do it. Luke focuses on what's happening. And on how God uses the baptism of Jesus to demonstrate who Jesus was, not to just just Jesus, not just to John the Baptist, but also to all of those who are gathered around listening and watching and witnessing what was happening. In Luke 3.21, it says, As Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and the voice of God was heard, saying, You are my Son. So here's the first question for us to ask is, why did God feel the need to affirm his identity, the identity of Jesus and his connection with Jesus upon the baptism? Before Luke's gospel and before uh, this, this portion of Luke's gospel, there's nothing of Luke's gospel that tells us of Jesus's life between his birth and now. He's born, 30 years has passed, he's being baptized. The people in Nazareth likely would have identified Jesus as the son of Joseph the carpenter. As the son of Joseph the carpenter, Jesus would have learned the skills necessary to to be a carpenter in those times. He would have traveled with his father to different job sites. He would have engaged in other work. And honestly, if Jesus is 30, he's probably working on his own, isn't he? 
I mean, I'm assuming he is. I don't, I don't know. Ernie, you're here. Was Jesus on his own? <laughs> I've never thought of that, right? I always think of like, so Jesus, you know, young Jesus, he's growing up, and then he just gets old enough, and then he's baptized. But really, he's 30. He's like halfway into his life, isn't he? Before he comes to John the Baptist, before he begins to feel um, the, the, before, I mean, he's not feeling the work of God in his heart because Jesus is God, but before he realizes or he decides that, that the plan and the whole intent and the whole reason for him coming to earth is now needing to come to fruition. And so as a son of Joseph, Jesus would have gone to the synagogue, he would have listened to the Torah being read, he would have heard it recited, he would have listened to the different rabbis and others share their interpretation of how they are to listen to to respond to the law of God according to the Torah's teaching. See, basically, I think we have to remember that not just for the first 30 years of his childhood, but it was the first 30 years of his life, his childhood, his teenage years, and the beginning of adulthood, or a pretty good chunk of his adulthood. Jesus was an ordinary son of Joseph of Nazareth. There wouldn't have been anything that set him apart, would there? Especially if you didn't know his birth story, if you didn't know his, um, how Mary came, became pregnant with him, if you didn't know what had happened or anything about the chorus of angels or the shepherds coming or the wise men or anything else. And we know that Mary didn't talk about it because the Gospel of Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things close and treasured them in her heart. See, before the baptism of Jesus, Jesus was just ordinary Jesus. I don't mean that he wasn't the Son of God, and I don't mean that he wasn't there for a plan and a purpose and, and for what God had intended and, and he had intended himself to come for, to do. But for all the rest of us, he was just ordinary Jesus, wasn't he? But it's in his baptism that the world learned of who he was. That the world learned what he himself already knew, that the world learned that before he was the son of Joseph, he was the son of God. He is the son of God. He was the son of God before he was ever born, before he was ever known. And if we read John 1, he was with God in the very beginning. Jesus' identity then was not on who his earthly father was, but his identity is now revealed or shown or announced in his baptism, isn't it? So here's the connection, I think, for us is that this statement about Jesus' identity before his baptism is true for all of us because we all belong first to God. Where God used the, the occasion of Jesus' baptism to publicly proclaim who he was, God didn't have to do that for Jesus to still be his son, for Jesus to still be claimed by him, for Jesus to still do his ministry, did he? God's pro proclamation wasn't necessary for any of these things to happen. In fact, Jesus didn't even have to get baptized by John, did he, to become the son of, God, son of God? He was already the Son of God. It wasn't necessary for him to, to claim who he was or for him to do anything else. By his baptism, he is simply showing that he was identifying with you and me as his people. And here's where our baptism comes in. Because your baptism is not central to you being claimed by God. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying if you haven't been baptized, let's have a conversation about being baptized. But 
I'm saying that God has claimed you for his own, whether you've had the water sprinkled on you or whether you haven't, because really what God is looking at and what he already knew with Jesus, right, is what happens in our hearts. And so I know this is, um, you know, he, he has claimed us. God has claimed you. Before you ever recognized that you needed to be claimed by God or before you ever recognized that you needed him in your lives, you belonged first to God. Before your baptism, before your name was uttered by your mother or your father, before um, anyone else knew of your existence, God knew and God called you by name. And so he calls us beloved, just like he did Jesus in saying, this is my son, this is my daughter with whom I'm pleased. Folks, he's able to do this because of what Jesus has already done for us. See, I think the baptism of Jesus, while important in showing us who God was, it also shows us, like, I don't think Jesus had to be baptized in order for him to still do his ministry, to still perform the miracles, to still heal the sick, to still preach, to still teach, to still appear before Pilate, and to still be crucified. Just like I believe, if we, I mean, God knows our hearts whether or not we've had the water sprinkled upon us. Now, baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace, right? Where we acknowledge God's work in our lives, where we acknowledge the gift of grace that he's given us, where if we're at an age to proclaim it ourselves, we proclaim it for ourselves. If we're having a baby baptized, you know, the parents proclaim that and the church proclaims that for the child. But see, in the baptism of Jesus... We are able to see and we are able to share in the knowledge that it just as he was claimed publicly by God, you and I are claimed publicly by God. And here's where it resets us. Friends, the knowledge of being claimed by God is important for us because it helps us to reset who we are and it helps us to see who, whose we are through the eyes of God. It helps us to reset and, and to claim who God wants us to be. And it helps us to realize that my identity and your identity, it doesn't come from our job. It doesn't come from our friends. It doesn't come from our family or our parents or anything else that the world uses to say who you are. Friends, your identity comes in Christ. It comes from God himself who knows you by name. And it comes from God who enables us to reset our souls so that we are enabled, so that we are directed, and so that we are ready to answer the call for the plan and purpose that God has for each of us. Jesus' baptism helps us to see. It helped to point all of the folks' eyes to Jesus that, that maybe wondered or maybe would have questioned or maybe would have not believed, they were able to see that when he was baptized that he was the one. But that didn't take away and that doesn't take away for the knowledge that we have that God has already claimed us, whether we've been or whether we will be, because God knows our hearts and that's his focus for us and for our lives. Amen.